up New Covenant. How y'all doing today? As you can see, Pastor Stephen is in Israel, so I am the backup quarterback today. Glad to be with you guys. And uh, Pastor Stephen has been doing this amazing series on Old Wells Fresh Water. And uh, it's, a, it's really a great concept and a great way to look at how our church became our church and how we became, uh, have the distinctives that our church has had and yet, also look at where do we want to see going forward. So um, I've been enjoying this series. I hope you've been enjoying it as well. And uh, the whole concept is drawn from a scripture in Isaiah, in Genesis 26. We'll just quickly throw it up on the screen. Where Isaac, Abraham's son, what he did, it says in Genesis 26, 18 and 19, he reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them, which is the names of the wells, Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. So today I want to talk about a well called the well of a multi-generational vision, a multi-generational vision. He's asked me to speak about that. We've always cared about not just our generation, but the generations coming behind us. Over the many decades this church has existed, we have done tremendous things to influence and impart to those generations. And uh, it is part of who we are. Uh, so I want to share uh, kind of what I have seen in my tenure here, 30 years, senior pastor, lead pastor, uh, some principles that have emerged, okay? And um, the, the whole idea of multi-generations comes from who God is, okay, first of all. Uh, our, our salvation and the blessings God has given us has never been just about us. And if you want to see God's best come to you, know that whatever he brings to you is never just for you. Uh, so there's a passage in, uh, I want to read in Deuteronomy 30, which helps illustrate how when God influences us, how it influences the generations coming behind us. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness, this is Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore... Notice the phrase here. I love this. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey his voice. I love this next part. That you may cling to him. This is not a passive approach to God. You may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To give them. Now, I want to highlight that last phrase, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many times you will see this threefold name listed when God describes his plan for his people, all right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did not just say Abraham, and there's a reason for that, because God, we need to understand this about God. God is a multi-generational God, and so when he talked about how he blessed Abraham, he wasn't just blessing Abraham, he was blessing Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, multi-generational God. And uh, there's power when you begin to understand how God works with us in a multi-generational fashion. So I have, I have observed over the years four principles that have, you know, come forth in this church that, that have created a multi-generational vision. 
And some of the things I'm going to share with you, there's four principles. Some of the principles I'm going to share with you may surprise you. They're not what you thought you would hear. And I think you'll understand what, what those are when, they, when I share them. So here's the first principle, the, to have a multi-generational vision. You understand this principle. The church is not a substitute, but a supplement to a godly home. It's not a substitute for a godly home. It's a supplement to a godly home. Now, why do we need to say that? Because so many times, you know, in the church world, you will hear things like, we got to reach the next generation. The next generation's in trouble. we got to do something about the next generation. So they try to create this killer children's ministry, killer youth group. And it's great to have great youth ministries, great children's ministries, create these multi-million dollar youth ministries, these Disneyland children ministries. And we find out over time that Disneyland doesn't change your, your kids. Disneyland will entertain your kids. It's great to have creativity in church. We believe in creativity in church. Maybe sometimes people go, why do you got all these lights and all that? Because we believe in creativity. We believe our God is an inspiring, creative God. Just like in the old days, they had stained glass. Why do you have stained glass? Because God's a creative God. He's a God of artistry. So we find the artistry that can bless and show who God is. And so we do that. So we believe in all of that. We've always had great children's ministry. We have one now. Great youth ministry. We have one now. We had a great college ministry for many years. We ran a Christian school for 25 years. Talk about commitment to the next generation. That is not an easy thing to do. 25 years, great school. But what, here's what we found. We could never overcome a bad example at home. That's what we found. We could never overcome. Almost, there's a couple times you'll see an exception. But most of the time, if you have one set of values that's living at home and another set of values being portrayed in a school or a church, the home's going to win. Now, that may sober you up a little bit, and maybe it should. There's not a lot in the New Testament. This is another surprising thing. We believe in, we believe in being great parents, but here's what we found, I found. There's not a lot in the New Testament about parenting. There's a couple of powerful verses. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Raise them up in instruction and, and discipline and training in the Lord. You know, there's a couple of great verses there. There's a lot in the Old Testament. There's a lot in the Old Testament about discipline. There's a lot in the Old Testament about uh, what we just read in Deuteronomy 30, where your example, how you serve God, affects your kids. But it comes down to who you are. It comes down to there's a, most of the New Testament and the Old Testament is about being a godly person. And then what we found is, and what God is trying to teach us, is that there is a downstream effect to that. When you live in covenant with God, there are great benefits for your offspring. Now, where does the church fit into all that? Well, obviously the church is here to help us live godly. And the church is also something else. Because many times, in fact, I would say, I don't know if the majority, but a high number of people don't grow up in a godly home. Don't grow up maybe with the best of circumstances. And then they get saved and they come to church. And then here's what God shows through the church. The church is God's family. And being God's family, the church models God's family. I grew up in a, an unhealthy home. And my mom was a great mom, but it was a bad situation. Bad, my dad had some real serious issues. And, and so there was a lot I didn't know about what a Christian home was supposed to look like. I got saved as a young man. I started going to church. That's why church is important. And I started seeing what godly families look like. It gave me great hope. You know, when I was a young man, I didn't hang out with young people. I hung out with old, hung out with old people. I hung out with these senior citizens. I don't know why. I just hung out with them. 
We had a blast. And they, I saw God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I saw generations ahead of me. What that, what if I serve God, what my life could look like someday. That's what the church can show you. That's why, by the way, you need to be in a life group. Because a life group is not just a Sunday morning thing. It is a middle of the week and a home thing where you see people up close and you see how we all live and you find out our challenges are similar, similar our answers are similar, our solutions are similar. You know, we did a, we did a, a life group this spring on marriage communication. That's an easy topic. And uh, <clears throat> we, we had some couples going, you know, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> we're doing better than we thought we were, you know. And that's what life groups show you. They show you other families that are going the same direction you're going. And they're great models that we see. Um, and we're starting those pretty soon. So if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to get in one, and, and there's even a chance to lead one. I think there's a training session today if you've been thinking about leading a life group. What we also can do is we can come alongside you as parents, all right? Like our children's curriculum, I just found out recently, our children's curriculum, I love this, it doesn't just teach the kids, it gives you tools to tell you what they're learning, and then you can teach your kids. It gives you some tools, and so we're excited about that. And that's our job. Our job is not to replace the family. Our job is to supplement the family. The second principle that emerged, and this is really going to surprise you, to raise great children, they cannot be the center of your life. Now, there is a generation, like my generation, I'm a baby boomer, like we were all about careers and stuff, and so a lot of kids grew up feeling neglected. And they said, we're going to make our kids the most important thing in our life. And that can be, your kids need to be important, but they don't need to be your whole life. You can go the other direction. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, I, I, occasionally I would see this like a couple would have a kid. And first of all, they think they have to check out a life. They can't come to church for six weeks, you know. A kid got, might, might get a disease or something. And, and then... Um, I would see like the wife in public with the, with the baby and the baby, you know, we'd be talking and she'd be holding the little baby and she'd go, I said, hey, how's it going? We'd say, how's it going? She'd go, we're doing good. Okay, good. What you been at? What's your husband doing? Oh, he's over here doing this and his work is, it's like, they're talking to me through the kid. I said, what just happened here? It's like... You know, it's like everything now is the kid. Even our conversation is through the kid. And like, so my wife, she was an, we, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom when, when our kids were little. And, and uh, she had them all day long. And uh, so I'd come home and she'd start talking to me like a little kid. It was your day, you know. She, she was up and used to talking to adults. And it got so bad that one night we were having dinner and um, she's talking to me and she just reached over and started cutting my meat, you know. <laughs> I said, Hello. You need to get out. <laughs> one of the, um, one of the uh, I saw a recent documentary on China, and I've been to China a couple times, and, and China has grown a lot, uh, not only financially, it's prospered, and there's an emerging middle class where people have moved, millions of people moved out of poverty in China, Okay. And at the same time, China is an authoritarian government that has things like a one-child policy. So you've got all these families having one kid with lots of disposable income. 
And they're starting to worry now that these people are raising little kings and queens. Think about it. This kid is the center of their world and they've got money to do whatever they want. And they're worried about what kind of generation this is going to create. Little kings and queens that have been kind of catered to in everything. And sometimes in our zeal, we can try to give our kid everything and in every sport and every extracurricular activity, you know. And let me tell you something. It, it, is, a, it is an unhealthy pressure to when a kid is the center of everything because they feel the pressure now to become this awesome adult because you have given so much attention to them. And uh, that's, that can be a very unhealthy pressure. Another phenomenon I saw that I found very interesting is occasionally I would see uh, parents and they would pick churches based on where their kids' friends went. Or maybe their kids went to this and, and they had friends over there. And, and that was kind of the only criteria. I was like, like, what do they believe? That's kind of important. You know, uh, the church is a life flow. It's where we get fed. It's where we worship God. It's where, it's where we experience the life of God at a corporate level. And, and uh, you know, I had lots of friends in high school, but I don't ever see them. <laughs> they haven't affected my life, you know. And, and our kids can think that their social circle is the, is the most important thing in the world. And if we're not careful, we try to govern everything by that. And so you're... Kids are going to be ultimately about as healthy as you are. So if you're not getting healthy, then chances are they're, probably, they're not going to get as healthy as you hope they, hope they get. Our kids need a purpose bigger than themselves. It puts tremendous pressure if their, their well-being is the only thing that matters, okay? So what does that mean? That means we get healthy. We stay healthy. Um, if you want to leave a legacy to your kids, then give them a kind of life they want to have. Show, let, them, let them see how you do life. Let them see how you do marriage. Let them see how you do, uh, how you work with, how you serve God. That's going to create more of a health in them than making sure they have every little thing that could bless them and help them and encourage them, and uh, even spiritually. Let them see how you do life. That's, that's what we've found over the years, that... If we could create healthy parents, they would create healthy kids. Now, if you are a single parent or you are not married to, let's say your spouse is not a believer, that is even more a reason to get them in a healthy church so they can see other models. So what we found is that if you want to raise healthy kids, they cannot be the center of your life. Here's the third one. And some of you need to hear this and some of you don't need to hear this. If you don't need to hear it, praise God. You're ahead of the game. But I needed to hear this. And this is something God did in my life, and some of you, this will help you. Generational iniquities, number three, generational iniquities can be broken. Generational patterns, there you go. They can be broken. And I am living proof. <laughs> so, uh, as I said, I, I grew up in a, a bad situation, started out life in a very bad situation. And um, I shared this whole teaching at a freedom concert we just did. We had a freedom conference, and a freedom conference is something we're hoping to repeat here once or twice a year, and a freedom conference is just a way to set aside some time and allow God to help you look at anything that could be hindering your spiritual growth. There's a set of situations we look at, and this is one of the situations we look at. Are there generational iniquities? Are there patterns that I'm either aware of or not aware of 
that are tripping me up and hindering my progress. And so I was aware as a young man growing up that there were patterns that I did not want to see repeated. But here's, here's something you need to understand. Knowing you don't want something in your life doesn't mean it's not going to be in your life. There has to be something better to replace it. You can't drive very far, look it in the rearview mirror, knowing where you don't want to go. And so that's what breaking generational patterns is all about, is recognizing unhealthy patterns and seeing what God has to say about them. Now, one of the things God showed me, and this is what I shared at the Freedom Conference, is uh, that Jesus died not just to forgive me of my sins, but to break those generational patterns and iniquities that come down through family lineages that are unhealthy. And again, I feel and believe some of you really need to take hold of this today. Here's the passage he shared with me. He showed me in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. He says this, Knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I love that. He didn't just talk about um, an evil conduct received. He talked about aimless conduct. Sometimes the, <clears throat> sometimes the, the worst thing that's passed down is a life of, of aimlessness, a life of emptiness, a life without purpose. And we're going to talk about purpose in this series. And that's the biggest thing our kids need to see is they need to see purpose. They need to see our purpose, God's purpose for them. So we're going to get into that soon in this series. So generational patterns, anger, greed, selfishness, divorce, addictions, pride, bitterness, things that can become toxic, things can be passed down. They found out that neuroscience has found that, that thought patterns can be passed down. You know, psychology's recognized it, medical science is recognizing it. God's been speaking about it for a long time. But the good news is it doesn't, the past does not have to be the future. And if you're aware of generational patterns that, that are unhealthy, maybe there's a fear that, that those things will happen in your life. I know I had some fears as a young man. Am I going to repeat the patterns of my family? Is this, am I going to have a great marriage? Am I going to be a good parent? You know, those are real fears I had to address. And I got saved and Jesus rocked my world and changed my life. It was so exciting. But I, but I needed to understand Satan was still trying to attack me along this line. And God showed me this verse, and he showed me that if I would take hold of the cross, what is the cross? The cross is an instrument of death. The cross would put to death, if I would allow God and ask him to, he would put to death generational patterns that wouldn't have to be passed amen. downstream. In fact, he showed me, amen, he showed me as a young father, my kids were young, he said, what I bring to the cross, my kids don't have to deal with. I can justify stuff all day, all day long, or I can bring it to the cross. In fact, can I just say, that's what parenting, one of the real purposes of parenting is to show you stuff you need to continue to grow in, you know? I told, I, I told the first service, I said, parenting, parenting is really not that hard if you, if you, if you really step up to the plate. It's, it's really not that hard. It, it was always a wonderful experience for us. In fact, I think marriage is harder than parenting. <laughs> I got a few brave amens in the first, and there's cowardice in the second here. No, no amen. But let me tell you what. 
Because parenting is one of the most unselfish things you'll ever do. You know, it's like you realize you're selfish when you're a parent. Like, God, I got to do this now again, you know. And there's no feedback. Like first two years, there's like no feedback, you know. It's like talking. They're not talking back. There's no stimulating conversation going on, you know. And it's like a dog or a horse. You're just doing all the talking, you know. Now, some, some people feed off of that, but I'm like, okay, I can't wait till we can talk, you know. So when you're, when you're married and you're selfish, you can say, well, they're selfish. If they'll quit being selfish, I'll start being, I mean, they'll quit being selfish. I'll quit being selfish. But when you're a kid, you can't go, well, my two-year-old's selfish. <laughs> when, he's, when he quits being selfish, I'll, I'll start, you know, I'll stop being, you just like, all of a sudden, you got to deal with stuff. You got to deal with patterns. You got to deal with attitudes. You got to deal with things you realize you don't want them saying or doing. There are little, little tape recorders walking around <laughs> with perfect memories. And so it's, it's, I believe it's part of God's plan that we still see, see stuff we need to deal with. And God said, take it to the cross. Quit justifying it. So, Lord, I don't, want, I, just, I don't want to justify this. Lord, let this die. Let this be gone. Lord, I repent of this. I don't want pride. I don't want unteachable spirit. I want to be humble. I want to be accountable. I want to be holy. I don't want to play games anymore. You know? And so as a result, it's God's plan to spur us, every single one of us, to bring things to the cross and break lineages that can be unhealthy and unholy. And let me just say this. If you're an empty nester, maybe you go, ah, maybe it's a little late for me. No, it's not. Let me tell you why. Whatever you bring... Everything you bring to the cross still has a downstream effect. I don't believe there's a person alive that is not still influencing other people. I personally believe that's the only reason we're still here. It's not just to enjoy life. Because can I just say, you're going to enjoy life a whole lot more up there. So the only reason any of us are still here is that we are influential. And I promise you, no matter how you don't think you're influential, if you are alive, you are influential. Somebody's paying attention. Somebody's observing. And certainly your family is. And so, yes, you can feel, I, I may be talking to some people today that have regrets and, you know, I, I didn't do it right. Okay, fine. Take ownership of that. Take ownership of that. Quit worrying about how it makes you feel. Take ownership about it and say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. And apologize to people if you need to. And resolve to pursue God. Choose life. Choose life. That, you'll, you, that both you and your descendants, praise God, may live. And you'll be surprised that you can still have a legacy. If you don't like the legacy, you got start a new one. That's possible. That's possible. Praise God. Here's the fourth one. And then I'm done. You can leave. You can bring security and hope to your children. We live in a very insecure world right now. I don't know. If, I think the world, and every generation says it's, it's bad. I'm a student of history, and I can tell you that's not true. This is not the worst it's ever been. But, it, but it's always bad. 
You can go back in the early American history. It's an evil generation. I'm not sure how much longer we're going to last, you know. First, certainly think about the first century living under Rome. I mean, there's always evil in the world. And as a parent, I want to encourage you, you can always bring hope and security to your kids if your kids are still home. I want to really encourage you. You know, we've said this before, that when a storm comes, the kids don't look at the storm. They look at the parents. When bad stuff happens, what happens? They look to the parents. We would be, maybe we've, we've always been careful about media, you know, with our kids. But sometimes something would come on in the, a commercial in a football game, you know. I mean, how did that happen? Football's God's sport, you know. And so we have to, they look at us. I go, that's not, that's not appropriate, you know. And we teach them. We model it out. So recently we had child dedication here. Um, and uh, we had three services. And the third service, the only couple that was getting their child dedicated was Danny and Mackenzie, our, one of our worship leaders. And they brought little Ella up. And as I watched him come up, in my heart, I saw, I said to myself, she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. Because I knew who they were. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what challenges would come her way. I didn't know what storms she was going to face. But I knew how they, because I know them, I knew how they were going to handle those storms. I knew, I, I didn't know what storms would come in their way. But I knew who they would turn to. And what principles they would live by when those storms came. Isn't that great? Already this little baby. We can look at this little baby and say, you know what? She's going to be fine. And that's the power we have, parents, to raise a godly generation that brings, that have such great hope, such great peace, such great security. This is why God is, is so many times describing this himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, that generations could look downstream, upstream, and see the multiple generations of faithfulness. When they see God's, parents, when they, when they see God's faithfulness to you and they see your faithfulness to Him, here's what you're doing. You're creating their future right in front of them. And they're going to be fine. Amen? I want to end with a passage that, uh, that uh, is from the book of Joshua. And it's Joshua's parting statement. He was at the end of his days. He had won many victories. A great life lived, and this is what he said in Joshua 24. Many of you have heard this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the river, are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Interestingly, he didn't just say, don't, you know, choose if you're going to serve the Lord or not. He said, you're going to, there's always going to be a God you serve. Every generation offers us different gods. I've lived several generations now. And today we're seeing different gods offered to us. The self-appointed architects 
of society are trying to tell us what morality should be and shouldn't be. And it is a direct assault on Christianity. Make no mistake about it. It's in our school system. It's in our media. It's in corporations. It's a direct assault on Christianity. There are other gods, other moralities trying to be imposed upon us. But here's what we can do. Here's the decision you can make. Here's the declaration you can make. It's his ending statement. He said, I don't know what you guys are going to do. I don't know where the world's going to go. But here's the decision and declaration I'm making. But as for me and my house, we, we, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Parents, I'm going to challenge you. Many of you have already made this declaration. I'm going to challenge you. If you haven't, join those of us who have and make this declaration today. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the culture is taking us. I don't know what the challenges are going to be. But here's what I do know. And here's the declaration I am making. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If that's your declaration, I want you to stand up. Let's declare it to the Lord. Lord, we are declaring today that you are the only true God. Yours is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And we are saying before you, God, that we will serve. That's your declaration. Say it. Lord, I am, we are saying we will serve the Lord. Amen? Say it to the Lord and praise Him because He is available. He is faithful. God, we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Praise God. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We want to come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.